Customer data pipelines power the backend of many successful web platforms. In a customer data pipeline, the data is collected from sources such as mobile apps and cloud SaaS tools, transformed and munged using data engineering, stored in data warehouses, and piped to analytics, advertising platforms, and data infrastructure. Rudderstack is an open-source customer data pipeline system that pulls together this disparate functionality. In a previous episode, we covered the basics of Rudderstack. In today's show, we dive deeper into the engineering of Rudderstack with returning guest CEO Sumya Deb Mitra. Sumya, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Afri. Really excited to be here again. Yes. Last time we did an overview of the customer data landscape and what you've built with Rudderstack. And today I'd like to go a little bit deeper into the engineering and some of the details of what you've been up to since we last spoke. So just to refresh people, Rudderstack is an integration point for customer data, basically. You know, your different events in your mobile applications and your in your SaaS applications and your data warehouse and all kinds of triggers that can occur around things like customer events, customer buying patterns, things like that. And the last time we spoke, you talked about essentially building the nuts and bolts of the platform. I guess to start off, once you get beyond logging and analytics for the basic customer data, what kinds of features do you build on top of the kind of the basic core nuts and bolts of a customer data platform? Yeah, and, and that's a great question. And we have learned a lot since we last spoke around uh, from, around use cases that our customers are using Rudderstack for. So maybe before I give you like a direct answer to that, I'll, I'll give you like a high level understanding of like how people are using Rudderstack. And then I can dive, dive into like what are the things we enable and what are the things our customers are doing, if that's okay. Sure. So like... In fact, like, so when we look at our customers' journey with their customer data, we, we kind of see like four steps. The simplest is where you are collecting the data and sending uh, data, uh, the same thing that you mentioned, like things from your app, your website, and then so on. And you want to send it to different downstream tools, right? You want to send it to Amplitude for analytics on Xpanel, and you want to send it to Google Analytics for marketing analytics, and you want to send it to like something like Braze or Customer IO for running campaigns, right? That's kind of the first use case. You just want to collect the data and send it to different destinations. And that's what like the, the segment pioneered that space. And that's where every company starts, right? If you're a startup, we see like a lot of adoption on like like less than 10 people company. You are just getting started with your data stack. You, you, you start there. Then as you grow, that's when you like, let's say you hired your first data analyst and you want to do more advanced reporting than what is possible out of the box in Amplitude or Mixpanel or like or any of those tools, right? So maybe you want to bring some other data, like you want to bring your transaction data and combine that your with event data and look at customer journeys based on that, right? So Anything which involves more complex reporting or multiple data sources, you realize that your existing tools are not enough. So you want to get the data into a data warehouse, like Snowflake, BigQuery, Redshift, or whatever. And you connect some, some kind of a Tableau or Looker or any of those dashboards, and you build out reports on top. Right? You hire your data analyst to build that. So that is where you go next once you have your first data analyst. Now, as you mature even further, you start building some interesting active applications. It's not just about reporting. 
but things like let's say lead scoring and you you got all the activity data you got your crm data into your data warehouse you build out a report but now you want to take the score let's say you want to assign scores to users of leads saying that are they active on the product are they not active on the product and you want to assign push that score back into salesforce so that your sales team can like prioritize based on that so like this this is like a very important thing for product led growth companies because like you want to prioritize leads based on what are they doing on the app so that is kind of the third state where you collect the data you are making like doing some basic analysis and activating that data so that's what the, the, you see this category called reverse etl and and so on and that's what we also kind of enable further down comes the machine learning stack right so it's not just about a simple lead score which is some how many times they have logged in but you want to build like a more of a complex machine learning application it could be like the same use cases but like a ml model for lead scoring ml model for churn scores and you want to push it back into the same set of tools right salesforce or like churn if you want to push it to gainsight so that's kind of the fourth evolution of the stack and finally you go to real time applications right so it's not just about like pushing a score back into a tool which somebody else follows up later but you want to like in real time personalize your app experience based on what they are doing in the app itself so you want to like do the same kind of ml models but you want to sync that like data into some kind of a key value store so that now you can consume it in the app right so the you, you see things around feature store and and so on so that's kind of like the journey we have seen our customers take through their customer data and our the, the way we think about the platform today is like okay we have to enable that journey there are things we have built today which are like more of the plumbing layers get the data into the warehouse send it to the destinations take the data out of the warehouse send it to the destinations and so on and then there are other things which people are doing outside of the platform right transformations on the warehouse so that's something we are going to launch very soon like instead of you having to write those dbt roles and so on can we do that comes further down we'll hopefully at some point build more interesting applications but like yeah that that's i mean we haven't built the entire thing but that's kind of the vision of like enabling these use cases you mentioned a few important pieces of tooling there data warehouse and dbt and i'd like to get a sense of how the customer data platform integrates with the different pieces of a data platform so can you give me an overview of the most important ancillary tools that connect to or that you see users connecting to rudderstack yeah that's a great question and again i'll i'll kind of map that question to the the journey that i was talking about right that customers take so at like at the very initial level you don't have a warehouse you're just connecting to all these different tools to like saas tools if you will to like generate your report so that's where we see like google analytics and amplitude and mixpanel and so on like we we now we have enough visibility into which tools are being used and so on but then the very next thing is like you have now more complex customer data processing requirements and you connect to data warehouse like that is the first most important tool like if i look at like popular destinations i mean yeah google analytics is probably the most popular one and then there are one or two other saas tools but then the right after that is the data warehouse so any mature company has a data warehouse and by mature i mean like even like companies of like sized as long as you have a data analyst who can do something with the data you have a data warehouse so yeah that's the most important piece of technology we have kind of seen and and, and i think like we have also seen like i mean you have seen that option of like warehouses in general and that reflects in the stock prices now once you have the data in the data warehouse we see like two kinds of like you need to do some transformations and you need to visualize that data like analysis is the most first important use case so transformations 
traditionally used to be done in like something like EVT, uh, it used to be done in SQL, right? You can write a bunch of SQL jobs and then a lot of that is moving to uh, DBT. So same with our customers. Like, I mean, a lot of our customers are just doing it in SQL, cron jobs and so on. But then more and more we see DBT adoption. And then the next step is the, the visualization layer, right? I mean, you see a lot of like Looker is popular, Tableau is popular, a bunch of other uh, like BI tools, uh, open source BI tools also, right? So. So that's kind of, if you stack rank, like what is the most important tool? Data warehouse followed by a BI tool. And then probably like DBT uh, in terms of data processing. And then there is the other ecosystem which we see, which are slightly more mature companies, which is where you're not dumping the data into a warehouse, but you're dumping the data into some kind of a data lake, whether like S3, like Delta Lake from Databricks or like some, some other cloud storage. And you are doing like processing in Spark, right? And you're, you wrote some jobs to like, yeah, same 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 kind of transformations that you do it in SQL, you can you do it in Spark and Spark and let's let lets you do more ML kind of stuff also. So that's the other parallel almost thread we see with our customers. And some customers are doing both. Dump it to SQL, dump it to a data lake as well. How does the actual data movement take place in terms of like if you're going from the data warehouse to and from the various sources and sinks like if you, if you think about the you know the data warehouse is the place where you know all this data is is getting stored all the customer data is getting stored when are different transformations and algorithms being run are they being done as like triggered events or are they being done as batch jobs like give me more of a sense of of when rudderstack is being employed for things like transformations and algorithms? Yeah, it's mostly batch. So the typical flow is like, I'll let him take that, maybe the lead scoring example, right? Where you want to score your Salesforce leads based on the activity they're doing in the app. So you need your Salesforce data about leads, and then you also need the product activity data, which comes from your website and so on, right? So they'll deploy like, again, a shameless plug for Rudderstack, but like, yeah, I mean, they'll deploy something like Rudderstack to pull all that data into the warehouse and then that data is being pulled in like pseudo real time right the crm data salesforce data which you traditionally call a elt is being pulled as a once in six hours the event stream data that is slightly more real time i mean we, we, we can dump as frequently as five minutes but it really doesn't matter for this use case right? you can dump every half an hour so whenever the data lands into the data warehouse that can trigger like after you land the data you, you run a cron job which triggers whether it's a DBT model or a SQL model. And we have hooks to do that, right? I mean, like APIs you can call into and, and, and wait for, right? So, or you can just monitor your data warehouse that new data landed or not. So you run a transformation which will trigger something like a lead scoring, right? You, you compute a score based on some function. And then once you have the score, you have to push it back into Salesforce, right? So that is again, you can trigger it through an API, but it's often also set up as a bad job, right? You, land the data, you run the transformations and you push it back. And then so we are today doing the plumbing layer. The transformation generally is ha happening either in like Airflow or, or, or CronTab or DBT Cloud or like whatever people, uh, tools they, they have. I'd like to get into the engineering of Rudderstack. So first question I, I have around that is, how do you choose what programming language to use for the middleware of shuttling data from one point to another? Yeah, I mean... Like, I mean, we, we went with Golang, right? I mean, all, all our code is open source. Like, it's all written in Go. 
why did we pick go like i wrote a lot of the initial code as well right so i i think like it was just that a lot of these uh, and i come from like that background i mean i wrote, wrote like data systems before so like go was a popular language for like where you have a lot of multi threading and, and and a lot of like asynchronous events so i mean like we, we there could have been a better choice but i think like go has been pretty good for us and like you don't get into like java garbage collection problems and so on so i think that's why we we picked go and and then we kind of stuck with that after that so there is some part of the code which is in javascript so we have this transformations we call it which take an event and like map it to the destination format right so if you are sending an event from rudder stack into something but yeah i mean like it's again i, I don't know is a very good answer but uh, that's what it is yeah is there a difference in how the different data warehouses are performing when being used as the backend for customer data storage yeah it's a tricky question i mean like we want to be like neutral to all the warehouses so i don't want to like pick one over other but i can give you like a high level view of like what people like about the warehouses right i think what people like about bigquery are two things one is that pricing model but particularly when you are small right i mean you just pay as you pay for the amount of data scanned so you don't have a lot of queries you just like don't you have to pay for storage it's just like on the number of queries and the other thing that people really like about bigquery is the ml functionality of that right i mean like bigquery has bigquery ml and we do see some adoption of the bigquery ml like you can re- easily train a ml model in sql so you don't have to set up that complex ml stack so i mean like we have customers who have built churn models within like couple of days and and then like you have something working end to end so that's where like bigquery really shines snowflake is the big guy here right? i mean in the mid market enterprise like snowflake's pricing model really outshines and of course like the product is great so no doubt about this so i think the, the the main thing that snowflake did was the decoupling of storage and compute so that you can pay for them and scale them independently and that really saw their huge adoption and we are like on snowflake right because again for the same reason and redshift i guess like i mean i mean i i, I see a lot of recent releases from redshift they are the early guys in this space right i mean they innovated the cloud data warehouse so hopefully they will catch up are the challenges that you've been facing as the company has gotten bigger more rooted in engineering or in company structure yeah that's a great question i think like i mean we definitely have a lot of engineering challenges right i mean as we are scaling this faster i mean like like we we have like our system has been like very reliable right? so that, that that is i think like kudos to the team to to do that so i think that's where we are done well there is a lot of scope for optimization like i think across the stack i mean we are paying amazon and like what we should not maybe paying so so yeah i mean that's kind of one thing and we are finally an integration business like every week there is some thing which is changing and and so on like catching up with that is some work right so I don't feel concerned about it right right now uh, and uh, like we just announced a series b funding today so i think now it's more about company scaling right i mean we went from like last time when we sp- spoke we were like 30 people i knew everyone today i mean i, I still i know everyone but like today we are 120 people and like scaling rapidly so thinking around like organization and this is not something i have done ever right scaled and managed companies of this scale so i don't know what i don't know but like i think that is uh, the big for us like scale and hiring is a very very big problem right and hiring great people as far as what those engineers are getting allocated to is there a lot of it work on integrations or is it like scaling the infrastructure to deal with all the 
the tenancy of the hosted platform or where are the most acute engineering challenges today? Yeah, that's a good question. I think like we have organized engineering into pods, right? So, and like, if you ask me like, what is, what are the hardest problems we have to solve? Like integration is a big problem. Like I would say it's a problem, like automating, how do you test that something is not going to break or if this and, and so on, like we have to build a lot, like we have built like, quite a bit of infrastructure, but like we have to do a lot more. So I think that's definitely a challenge. On the core backend, there is a lot of room to scale that and, and like and make it like we're working on like how to make it like truly multi-tenant and like in, improve efficiency by like 5x, 10x maybe. So they're like hard engineering problems, but I think, I mean, we have like good engineers. We'll, we'll figure it out. So if you ask me, like, this is more of a solved problem. Like, I mean, people have built high performance distributed systems, right? So, I mean, we, we will do it. On the integration side, there are a lot of unknowns. I mean, like maybe particularly on the destination side and, and so on like we have like what integrated with hundreds of tools like i mean i don't think i haven't built any system like that which can like test those integrations automatically and 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 so on and so yeah i mean that's something you have to go and innovate i guess so we, we have to figure that out there's been a growth in data middleware tools over the last three four years and i guess i'd like to get a sense of how how you see Rudderstack in comparison to other tools like HighTouch or Airbyte, these other platforms for data movement? Do you think there's, is there a place for like multiple different data movement tools within a stack? Or do you think that each of these tools gradually expands to capturing more functionality? Yeah, I mean, like all of the tools you mentioned have raised a ton of money and, and then so on. So I think like, Eventually, I believe there's only so much value you can get out of data integration. Like you cannot get enormous, huge deals on, on, on data integration. So they will all, all go up the stack, uh, I, I believe in some sense. And I think, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of my outside impression. Like, as far as we are concerned, I think like we are very much focused on customer data. So we will solve not just the integration problem for customer data, but also like go try to go up the stack, like do more things around that, like build what we call the platform layer and, and so on. But it's hard to say how others think about it, but I, I guess like they have to. Can you tell me more about like what is in that that platform layer? Yeah, think about like what happens, like the same stack I was talking about, right? You got your raw data into a data warehouse. Then you have to do like some basic transformations to combine multiple sources of data and create, think of this as like a clean view of a user table. Like in the marketing terminology is now customer 360. Like you have a lot of CDPs talk about that. But like a fundamental level, it is like for every user have one row with all the data you have about that user, right? I mean, some of those are attributes that the user provided, their age, sex, location. Some of those are like computer attributes, right? You have like how many times have they logged in? How many times have like they've done something, right? So think of this, like you create this customer view. And then once you have that customer view, then you want to do multiple things of that, right? I mean, you at one end, you want to just connect to a reporting tool and build funnels and build reports on top. Then the other use case is activation. You want to like slice, dice that list and say like, give me all the customers who have done X, but not Y. Who have come to the checkout page, but dropped off. And you want to take that output and send it to different destinations. Or you want to do connect an ML system, like you want to train an ML model on top of that customer table, right? So the very next logical step, which like our customers are already doing, is to create that customer view. And then finally build those application layers on top, right? So 
I mean, we think some part of that will be done by Redostack, like at least creating a customer view and how do you make it easy for the customers. But then like some other things will be built outside of Redostack, right? But what we will own is the customer, like we define that customer table, right? This is how it should be stored. And then other people can build interesting applications, whether it's analytics, whether it's like ML, uh, some maybe we'll build, some others will build. So that's how we kind of think about this space. When you look at the data integration stack or the data integration, I guess, landscape of different tools, it's so much better than it was, say, five years, 10 years ago, when data integration meant something so different. I mean, it was it was more like, you know, if you want something meaningful from your data, you have to go ask the Hadoop engineer to get something for you. And And now it's some large-scale, time-consuming batch job, whereas now it's much more real-time and seamless and driven by high-level tools. Are there any significant pain points today? Like, where are the pain points in the data engineering stack today that you think will be much more ameliorated in maybe another five or 10 years? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, and I have to think for a good response here. So, yeah, I mean, like integration has definitely become much simpler, right? I mean, all the way from like, because the tools have evolved, the destinations have standardized. Now you're not writing to some like esoteric Vatika or something that you're dumping into like one of the cloud data warehouses. So the architecture has standardized quite a bit. If that is kind of solved, then I think like, I believe like there is still challenges around the whole metadata around data, right? I mean, you're running all these pipelines and putting the data into a data warehouse, but then like you have like so many different kind of consumers of that data, right? Like you have analysts to ML practitioners to like to, to your BI to like business users. And it's a mess, right? I mean, what, yeah, I think Good example is like, I mean, if you have a, like a metric called lesser revenue, like oh, what does revenue mean? Even for a company of our scale, which is small, like we have like subscription revenue and we have like annual revenues and like, I mean, and like that everything is dumped into separate tables. Like how do you clean that up? Like there is revenue in the event data also. What is the clean definition of revenue, right? I think I mean, we have seen innovation on that space, like there are like metrics companies and, and, and so on. But I think there is definitely a scope to like innovate around metadata and and data sharing and data catalog and that broad thing. And I think data quality also falls under this. I mean, I, I do see like, like every time a dashboard breaks, our customers have to firefight. Like, did, is it a rudder stack problem? Did they release an app which changed the instrumentation of the event? And now if you have released an app, how do you go back and I mean, you have now you have broken dashboard. How can you detect those things early enough? So I think, yeah, in general, like pipelining is maybe solved, but making sense of the data is still a hard enough problem. So you mentioned data catalog there. How do you see, when you look at the larger companies that you work with, you don't have to name names, but you have a lot of large companies that use Rudderstack, a comprehensive data catalog at a company like Stripe would be enormous. And it seems like there would be so much work around continually indexing that data catalog. And it seems like there's opportunity for tools to integrate directly with the data catalog rather than letting the data catalog sync just with the data warehouse. Do you think that's a, that's a viable strategy to have your tools like Rudderstack 
write to the data catalog? Or do you think it just makes sense to defer that to further down the pipeline and just let the data warehouse sync with the data catalog? It has to be like the tools like Rudderstack has sent the data because we have a lot more semantics that like that that you can it's hard to get out of a data warehouse. So I'll give you a very concrete example. Right? Events are flowing through Rudderstack. We are dumping that events into separate tables, let's say in a warehouse, right? Like every event goes to a different table. Now we know that like this event is a production. People have set up things, right? There is a production event, this is like a test event, and then so on. Like so we, we have kind of that metadata. Because that's how people have set it up on, on, on Rudderstack UI. So having passing this information to a data catalog is, is super valuable, right? As opposed to like, like the data catalog now having to try to figure that out from the warehouse. So that's kind of one example. What other examples can I think of? Like, yeah, I mean, like in general, like we have we do have metadata around our, our, our events. We we know like another good example would be like we have kind of, we're trying to standardize event generation. So we know the tracking plans. We know what events are supposed to be generated. We have a standardized set of like e-commerce events. And right? if you're an e-commerce company, these are the only the events that you should be sending. So having that metadata information, I think is super valuable for a catalog, which is hard to otherwise get purely by scanning tables in a warehouse. How have you seen the open source nature of Rudderstack be advantageous to you? Have you seen significant contributions back from the larger companies that are writing their own custom code around the customer data platform? Yeah, I mean, that has been another learning and part of it is probably our uh, like our execution too. Our open source has not been as successful in terms of like like contribution back as, as I would have hoped for, right? Maybe it's because like people don't like writing integrations. The other part of it is even on the adoption side, right? we, we launched the open source product at the same time, we launched the cloud product, uh, like uh, and, and and so on, and then we have a very generous fleet here, and and we have seen like open source getting adopted, but cloud also getting adopted, and the cloud adoption is much faster than the open source adoption. So it has been an interesting learning. I mean, when I when, when I started Rudderstack, I assumed that open source is extremely important to get to the data persona we want to target, but doesn't seem to be. But it, it has been like super helpful. I mean, we are still very committed to open source. Like I think we have created a community which is like passionate about open source and so on but like when it comes to like just broader adoption and, and so on i think cloud has definitely uh, overtaken open source when you see a customer adopt rudderstack initially for the customer data platform what are the most direct i guess expansions that they typically are going for after like once they start using rudderstack to record their customer data events is there a kind of a next place along the path that they're typically going, like whether it's reverse ETL or event streaming or or using machine learning, like your built-in machine learning stuff? Kind of what's the typical next step after they begin recording events? Yeah, and uh, like I'll, I'll refer back back to the same set of steps, like as initially talking about, right? So once you start with very simple sending it to different destinations, then you connect the data warehouse as the next step. And after you do that, I think the next step is like the first use case for data warehouses analytics. You connect something like Looker or Tableau and so on, build reports. Then comes like more of active use cases of data. Like it need not be machine learning, could be simple rule-based. Like for example, we send how many times has this person, we compute a lead score based on two parameters. Like how many times has the person logged into the dashboard and what is the total event volume they have sent in the last seven days. 
it's a simple function which computes these two and sends it sinks that score into destination. So it requires like that simple comp computation, which is done in DBT and reverse ETL, which we take care of, right? So that is the next evolution. On consumer companies, we also see a lot of segmentation use cases. Like you get the data into the warehouse and you want to create audiences, again, rule-based audiences. Like I, I want to create like all the card drop-offs and I want to push them into some kind of a marketing tool. So we see these like, depending on like whether PLG or like our consumer companies, like there are these rule-based transformations and activations using reverse ETL. Then comes more ML-ish use cases, right? Where the rule-based now becomes ML, right? Instead of you writing and crafting. And then finally, we have few customers who have built like real-time applications. Right? It is not just about syncing the data into a third-party tool. It is computing those features, if you will, or recommendations in the in a warehouse, syncing it to like a key value store like Redis or like some other version of that using reverse ETL and consuming that in the app for personalization. So it's kind of like different companies have are in different stages uh, in, you know, in, in that data stack. I feel like... As a data pipeline grows in complexity, it can be harder and harder for the entirety of the data team to have an understanding of what the span of that data pipeline looks like and where th different things are going. Have you seen any mechanisms for like, effectively mapping out that data pipeline and giving people a holistic sense do, or is it just like do people just draw uml diagrams or is there is there any kind of like auto generated system for people being able to map out their data pipelines yeah i mean like you you're just making a pitch for our stack right i mean like firstly you want your data pipeline in one place like instead of like five different tools and so on and the other thing is like again things i mean we launched this well actually it's in beta we are going to launch maybe in, in a week or two this thing around like the data pipelines in terraform right so just like your infrastructure is in code, why shouldn't your data pipeline be in code? And we have customers doing it. Right? I mean, when it becomes complicated, you want to like check in your data pipeline. You define the data pipeline in, in, in something like Terraform, check it into Git, manage version control, and, and so on. Right? So I think that's one thing I'm excited about. We have some customers who are already doing it and so on. So hopefully uh, that, that, that kind of becomes the standard. But it's kind of like hard to do these things when you have like five different data pipelines running. Again, but like shameless plug for our stack. As you mentioned data quality earlier, you know data quality is one failure that can occur along the engineering of a data pipeline, but you know you can also have things like drop packets and other kinds of problems that can emerge that can lead to data loss or inconsistencies in your data. Have you built any technology around retries or detection of data loss on within Rudderstack, or do you typically kind of defer to the end user to sort through data quality problems? Yeah, I mean, the, like, we definitely have like built like a lot of infrastructure around retries, like all the way from like your client site, like your SDKs, your browser SDK or your mobile app SDKs, like there could be failures anywhere along the way, right? So I think like, so we, we have retries on the client site, Rados server itself has like we have high availability. Once the data comes to Rados stack and it confirms that okay, that data has been persisted, only then the client deletes the data. And then now Rados stack internally has retry mechanism and high availability around the data. So if the destination is down, we can keep trying and, and, and so on. So we, we we go a lot of long way to try to make sure we never lose any data, right? So even if Rados server goes down. So I think the data loss is, I think, is a solved problem. Like it's more morely an engineering problem. Data quality though goes beyond just like 
wild level data loss right i mean data quality is, is is a broader problem because like because there are humans involved right i mean you changed your app instrumentation and you forgot to add a event or you moved an event so we have like alerts like like what our customers do is like they'll connect to like we have very good integration into different tools right so you can connect to something like grafana and define alerts on your critical metric right so if if your revenue metric is what you care about if that revenue metric is suddenly going down the number of events then it will generate an alert so we have kind of built tools around that we have something called tracking plan so that i mean the, there are two ways you can broadly approach that, the human aspect of it right either you monitor through all kinds of we have some basic monitoring but you can connect to these end tools the other is like you enforce right and enforcement could be at multiple levels you can enforce at the client side and there are like tracking plan tools which like won't even let you write an event unless it conforms to the tracking plan so we have something called typewriter so you, you can enforce at the client side you can enforce at the the router layer at at a stack layer where we can say that unless the event conforms to the tracking plan we'll reject the event and we'll generate an alert you can also enforce at the data loading time like when you are loading the data into the warehouse or like reading the data back you have tools like data expectation and, and so on which enforces things when you are writing the data and reading the data so like the human aspect could be enforced at anywhere probably it should be done everywhere but it's still like a pain right i mean like this is one of the standard problems but like to longer to say that is like we should not lose data if you are losing data because of like that is an engineering problem like but like just that doesn't solve data quality on the topic of performance so if you're logging a really high velocity of events performance at the client level and at the server level are both pretty important you've already kind of addressed the performance on the server side with golang on the client side you have to use javascript and getting high performance out of javascript can be a, a little bit tougher than getting performance out of golang what kinds of work around performance have you done to improve the client side javascript stuff so like performance means like slightly different things on the server side and client side on the server side it is about event volume number of events we are processing on the client side it is running on that end user's browser right so the the amount of event volume is very low like it's like how many things somebody has clicked and so on the performance issue there or even on an android sdk and so on is like less for mobile but more on the javascript side is like the load time right if you are loading a big javascript like it slows down the website and and so on so so that is the performance challenge and we have done again like i, I don't know there is a single thing that we have done it's like delayed loading like the high level idea is like you load the bare minimum you need and then you load only other things which you need if you need them and and so on so we kind of done bunch of engineering work around that but i'm sure like there is a lot of scope for improvement there and on improving like javascript load performance and so on in fact that is one of the value add of rudder stack like you don't have to load 30 different javascripts you can just load rudder stack and then we'll send it to everyone this is not the first company that you've built and i think your previous company exited through acquisition are there any points around market size or strategy that you can offer that have contributed to allowing Rudderstack to go further than your previous company yeah and this is a very personal opinion i mean i'm sure others disagree i think there are three risks you can take when you're starting a company right you have a technical risk you have the market risk and you have the team risk right at a, at a very high level like is is the market there even build the technology and then like do you have the right team to go and build the technology right so there are three risks we take and different people different founders have different skills one thing i learned is like i am very bad at taking market risks right i mean in general engineers right engineers are like very bad at first estimating a market sometimes or 
even like uh, all like selling and uh, other skills around that, right? So then if you are to, as, as an engineer founder, you can take the other risk, right? We are good at coding. You can take the technical risk and you can take the team is like, you build the right team to go and take the technical risk. So again, I think what I've learned is like, the way to do that is like, if, if you're again, somebody like me, don't take a market risk. There are enough markets, which are proven markets. Like CDP is a proven market. You have to bring a different angle. You cannot just say that, like, I'll, I'll do whatever else is doing, but like take a proven market, bring a better product into that market and, and, and execute well. So again, through this, mechanism you will not ever get a uber uber in, innovated market but it is like you, you want to match you, know, you want to do what your strengths are have there been any market risks that you didn't anticipate or market opportunities that you didn't anticipate and we are really early in our journey i think like so far we have been very fortunate like i mean and like a lot of things lined up for us uh, like in all, all the way from like generally data warehouses exploding and not, not just in a real sense but also like in People understand that it's an enormous market. So there's a lot of funding in the broader data space, right? So that's kind of one thing that has helped. Segment got acquired and now they are like distracted and like with, uh, with any acquisition, no, no, no fault of segment or really or so on. So I think a lot of things lined up. And, and again, we are very early in our journey. We have grown very fast, but I'm sure we'll run into problems, right? Every company runs into problems uh, at some point. Uh, so uh, maybe hopefully not this year, maybe year after, but yeah. Yeah, so I mean, long way to say, I, I mean, so far everything has really worked out well, but who knows. When you think about product scope, since there's so much that can be done with customer data, there seems to be a pretty important pressure on sequencing the product and allocating engineers to the right areas. How do you prioritize and figure out the right areas of the data stack to focus on? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And if anything, I think that's one thing we have not done a great job of, right? We already are fighting a big surface area with like three different pipelines where there are specialized companies each doing each one of them. But I believe that is important for us to execute on our vision. And then we are doing on some of the transformation stuff and so on. So we are already fighting a big surface area. So we definitely need to do a better job. Thankfully, we have enough understanding from our customers, like open source users, free tier customers, like what is important, what is not. But we need to do better here. As you've moved to scale up the hosted platform, how has the deployment system changed and your deployment medium for scaling the infrastructure that the transformations and data shuttling lives on? Honestly, that hasn't really changed too much and could be like part of our engineering thing. We were on Kubernetes almost on day one. And like, and the, the good thing is like, this is a very tri- trivially parallelizable thing. Right? I mean, you're processing events for your customers. There is an event ordering requirement, but it is only at an end user level. So like, let's say you are the end user in sitting in a browser, your events need to be delivered in order. And across users, across customers, there is no dependency between events. So we can just like skip spinning up nodes and which are processing all this data. So we were Kubernetes native and like we are running an enormous Kubernetes cluster running like hundreds of data stack nodes. So. And as far as that Kubernetes deployment, are you using a container management solution or are you like managing your own kubernetes on like ec2 clusters we use like and then we are on multiple different like like zones like we have a european center and like a uh, like in north america because of the data residency requirements like and so on gotcha on the machine learning side what are the machine learning frameworks you use to drive the calculations on different machine learning algorithms yeah so 
like we don't have a product there yet but we have worked with few customers to help them build some of their ml models so and we have kind of done both extremes like the, the two main things to highlight is like we have done some things on bigquery ml so your data goes into bigquery and you literally write your ml model in bigquery right you cannot tweak too many things but you can select features and in sql and train a model and like make it run periodically so you can literally have something up and running like very like within a day the other extreme we have done is like the, the usual stack right so we, we kind of do it on sagemaker but i think that google i think is also as vertex uh, yeah so i mean like yeah i mean what we have worked with our customers on like sagemaker jupyter notebook sagemaker so. gotcha what's the biggest lesson that you've learned as you've gone from that 30 person team to a much larger team big surprise was hiring is very hard uh, and, and and so on so that i mean I, i thought like once you have money you can hire people but it's not definitely and so like so that was a big surprise and big positive lesson was like if the market is right you get like so much tailwind like i mean things are breaking left and right but things still customers show up and, and so on i think like that was one of the pleasant uh, things from definitely different from like a lot of my previous startup experiences and so on so has there been anything that that kind of breaks as you've scaled like communications wise communication wise within company communication i i think we have done a good job like part of it is also because like we were like distributed trust from day one like we are, we have a team in india we have a team in greece in the us we are born through covid so like because of all of that like we have everything is on slack we are a very transparent culture and so on so i think like we have done a good job there Uh, we also have like customer communication also everything is on slack uh, so we have every customer we have a slack channel i think we can do better there because like their tracking becomes important so we have kind of built like not just not built like integrated tooling around like create ticketing on slack and so on so i think customer communication i think we can probably do better but internal communication nothing strikes to me i think like we have, we have done okay slack one thing i would say is like slack doesn't capture emotion right so sometimes when you say something if you don't mean it it can come not in the right way on the other side but i think that's like the culture you build like you as long as people are trusting of each other i think that's not a big problem you touched a little bit on the engineering of of the middleware just in terms of go i'd like to know a little bit more about how data gets batched within rudderstack versus streamed like if you have a really really high volume of events coming in are you building queues of those events and then shuttling them to different places or are you just moving them directly to the target yeah no i mean we, we have to persist that data right because remember like the destinations could be down for some time and so on right so the highest level the way to understand this like any event that comes in is persisted like we built our own queuing uh, system on top of postgres because we did not want to ship kafka with all the challenges with kafka and we wrote a blog about it for like anyone who wants to go in, into into details but high level data comes in we persist into a database and act to the client that you can now delete the data then the next step is to transform that data like we we take the raw event and depending on the de- each destination has a different format right so we we have to convert that event into multiple destination formats and then in between we also support something called user transformations where a user can also define a function that is executed on that event to like remove fields add fields whatever like we have a very powerful transformation framework so that gets executed then the event is transformed into all the different destination formats uh, and then the data is sent out right so at a conceptual level it's very simple like data comes in and, and then you persist it twice and send it out then we have built like caching layer in between so that like you don't have to like 
like uh, go and read and write from the disk every time and and so on so like that's kind of high level one way to think about runner stack and this all this code is open source for anyone who wants to like take a look and even volume is not a problem because like i mean you can now parallelize rather nodes right you can put a load balancer in front like which we do like we have a load balancer node and then events can you still have to make sure that events of a end user like on a given browser goes to the same node but across users you don't have any dependency so you can like spin up multiple nodes and just send events to all of those what's your caching infrastructure built in it's all written in go so i mean like uh, like uh, we built our own stuff it's like in memory it's not like like anything sophisticated right? and so that's yeah gotcha and what was the motivation for building the persisting infrastructure in postgres versus like you said kafka the biggest one was like i mean from my past experience i've like i've worked with postgres for a very long time even during my grad school i looked at postgres i mean we, we did a bunch of work on postgres so like familiarity with that and like stability of the system right we built our queuing engine on top of postgres and i have never seen we are processing like billions of events and across multiple nodes running postgres i've never seen a postgres failure right it's this kind of an amazing piece of engineering so that's kind of one thing versus like i mean now i'm sure kafka has matured quite a bit but when i was initially managing kafka clusters in in my previous job like 2014 15 time frame it was like a big project right uh, so we needed to have like yeah managing was a was a big pain and then when we designed rudderstack was designed to run on customers environment not just like our cloud environment right? so I, I want anyone to deploy run rudderstack on their own kubernetes cluster we have an open source project so i think we did not like because of i guess my bias and so on like we did not want to ship kafka so that was one reason and then the other thing is like is slightly more technical details but like we wanted a like the, the the data semantics of like producer consumers and and so on doesn't work really well when you have like huge multiplexing so and even retries and so on i mean we, we wrote a blog about it i can get into the details but that's like, like like the high level idea right if you have to remove an event and if it fails you have to queue it back and not lose a position in the queue and so on it's kind of can be done on kafka but requires a lot of like weird uh, like handling well, Sumia, thank you for coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and I'm really impressed with the progress you've made in Rudderstack. Yeah, Jeffrey, thanks again for inviting me. I'm truly humbled to be here. Yeah, I mean, it's an honor. and It was great chatting with you as, you, as always. Thank you so much.